uh, feel this morning. Uh, we need you to speak to us uh, from your word uh, with the time that you've given us, and I know that it's going to be just right. It's going to be exactly what you have called for. And so um, I need you to be glorified uh, through me. I, I uh, am a little bit anxious. Uh, I don't know exactly what it is that I'm going to preach. Uh, and, and so I need you to um, clarify the things that don't yet make sense to me. And uh, Lord, let these um, young adults uh, have ears to hear. Lord, that their lives might be changed by the, the power and the impact of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we were together... We were uh, looking at the testimony of Barnabas versus the testimony of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they gave a fake, a false sacrificial gift, and they were exposed as hypocrites. And in so doing, uh, their punishment, the consequence, was uh, their death. And uh, we talked about how harsh that seems when we read it, but especially for this early church, God was going to have no hypocrisy. Okay? He wanted there to be fear in the midst of the congregation, and there was fear. There was fear. His followers feared him. And we talked about what it meant to fear the Lord, and now we're going to see what fear uh, brings. Okay? Uh, fear will have a mighty work. Uh, if, when we have fear in our hearts, when we approach the Lord with reverence and, and in faith, uh, he will use us. That's something that he can use. He cannot use the proud. He cannot use the high-minded. He cannot use people who come to him falsely. He wants people who are absolutely 100% dedicated to his word and in obedience following him, full of fear, uh, knowing, knowing that, like in my house, my kids fear me. Okay? We get a lot more done that way. We get a lot more done that way. I don't have to mess around with convincing them that I'm the authority. I always make Clementine stop for a second because she's, you guys know, Clementine's the one, right? All right, darling, who's the boss? Daddy's the boss. That's right, I'm the boss. Okay? Just a little reminder, right? And we need, that, we need to know who's the boss. And we don't cross the boss. Okay? He's in charge. He's the one. And when we live that way, we will be more mature for it. Today we've got a message called unsafe. I'm sorry. Guys, I keep, these messages, are, they're not fun. They're not fun, okay? The message is called unsafe. And I think it's very appropriate that today the weather is a little bit unsafe. And some of you have uh, made your way here and you've taken a bit of a risk. And I appreciate that. Uh, We're going to talk about risk today. We're going to talk about the value of risk. When you first get a job, uh, some of you have never done that yet. So I want to make sure that I'm clear on my illustration. When you first get a job, your HR department makes you go through training. Yeah, you do a couple weeks, sometimes multiple weeks. Tobias just got a job, and he's been going through, like, a shadowing period where you, like, follow around someone, uh, someone around the workplace that knows their way around, that's been doing it for a while. And you shadow people so that you can learn uh, all the ways of doing things. Um, and, and I had to do that when I first started teaching. And, they, and in fact, they make me do this again. Every year I have to do a training called Safe Schools. Okay? And I, I kid you not, I kid you not, every year it's the exact same training. Okay? They may change 
just a small thing here or there, update this or that, but it's eight hours of video training before the school year starts every year. And the content of this training is things like how to pick up a box. Okay? Yeah. Uh, how to store dangerous chemicals. Right? Which is apparently important because last week I caught a student drinking from their paint water. In high school, you do things for attention. I don't know if you knew that. She was drinking the paint water, which is cancerous. So I guess the training is important. But safety is important. Safety is important. And, and so they, the, they want us to learn how to be safe and how to have a safe environment for students to come into. And there's training like sexual harassment training and things like this. But I don't know if you guys have noticed, but, but our society has become obsessed with safety. We've become obsessed with safety. Now, physical safety is absolutely important. I totally get it. I should probably know how to lift a box. Okay, I should probably know that. But what we have seen in society is an obsession with safety. And we have seen the, the conversation about safety turn from one about physical safety to one about emotional safety. About emotional safety. Now we have college campuses with safe places. I don't know if you know this. UMKC probably has a safe place. And that's a, a place where people can go when they feel triggered. Right? Places where they can go when they're feeling anxious. When they feel emotionally conflicted. Safe places. And usually they have little teddy bear things there. I don't know. Like each place is different, but they're an environment where someone can go to feel safe. Now just the, just the like... The dominance of the word triggered over the last few years. Like, I had ne- like this was a term I, hear, I would hear once a year, and now I hear it every other day. Someone used the, that triggers me. Do you guys know what I'm talking about right now? Apparently, people get triggered. <laughs> Things trigger them. And as a society, we have learned to be very protective of ourselves, insulated from anything that is abrasive, Critical or contradictory. We're insulated. We fear anything that's dangerous. Anything that might come in conflict with our physical or emotional safety. Now, let me listen. Let me say this to you. I want you to listen carefully. This culture has poured over into the church. So much so that churches have learned to de-emphasize anything that is, con- that is not conven- convenient or safe. They've, they've de-emphasized those things. So what we want for you as the congregation is to come in and feel safe and comfortable. We want the pews to be comfortable. We want the words that we speak to not be that abrasive. We want to coddle you and make you feel at home. And in turn, okay, I'm, I'm fast-forwarding here, but I want you to understand this, that the consequence of that is Less disciples, less missionaries, less pastors, less people willing to take risks, and less people willing to do the will of God, which is a dangerous proposition. Doing the will of God is a dangerous proposition. And we, as Midtown Baptist Temple and Kaya, have to unlearn safetyism. What if we had the opportunity to shadow the earliest Christians? Get our on-the-job training directly from the apostles. What if we could do that? Oh, yeah, we can. It's called the book of Acts. And as we continue through Acts, we progressively see the book grow more and more unsafe, more and more dangerous. 
We begin to see, see men and women taking a greater risk for their faith. We see radicalism emerge. This on-the-job training doesn't have eight hours of safe ministry training. There's no videos to watch. We literally get to read how men and women chose to obey. And when they did, their worlds became less safe. These early Christians may have been radical and their actions may be perceived as unsafe by the world's standards But listen to me, they weren't haphazard, okay? They weren't haphazard. We're not talking about haphazardry. We're not not talking about stupidity. We're talking about calculated, informed, self-aware individuals who chose to do the dangerous thing. And we can see that in their prayer life. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29, they're praying to God and they say, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. So they they knew the threatening. They knew the risk. They knew the danger. And they asked God, not that he would cause it to cease necessarily, but they would be able to speak all the more boldly in light of the risks that they faced. This is what we're talking about. They knew the risks, but they saw the need. They did the cost-benefit analysis and concluded it was worth it. So key point number one, faith-filled Christians are more concerned with servanthood than personal safety. Faith-filled Christians are more concerned with servanthood than personal safety. What we watch uh, these disciples, uh, when when we watch these disciples, we learn what happens when people have their fears in proper order. What it looks like when people fear God and nothing else. What most Christians today consider radical, we should consider normal. What most Christians today would describe as radical behavior, we should consider to be normal. Today we're going to discuss what it means to be unsafe in ministry. So we're going to look at an unsafe ministry model. You ready? First thing, an unsafe mission field. We need to choose an unsafe mission field. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Okay, let's pause there. First of all, we know that they were doing these signs and wonders in order to substantiate the fact that they were from God, that these men were messengers of the one true God. And it was the only way, according to 1 Corinthians, uh, I think it's chapter 1, verse 22, okay, that says that Jews require a sign. Jews require a sign. And we know that in God's plan and His agenda, that he was going to use these apostles to do signs and wonders to substantiate the truth of the gospel that the the Jews might have ears to hear. You understand? And so they went and they did these signs and wonders. But what's important is the choice of of the setting, where they decide to go. Solomon's porch is a colonnade, okay, a foyer to the temple. 
It's a, uh, it, it sits as like, a, it sits like a, a foyer to an open courtyard that leads into the inner temple. Okay? Now, now let me explain something. As we've already read in Acts, that the last time that the apostles got in trouble, the last time they faced the religious leaders was here at the temple. The place where they were threatened was here at the temple. The place where they were told to be silent was here at the temple. And in light of the threatenings, they find themselves once again here at the temple. They are unafraid. See, the apostles could have easily chosen to preach or teach anywhere in Jerusalem, but somehow they ended up right where they were previously threatened. They were performing miracles in plain sight of those who had just finished threatening them. Were they idiots? Were they confused? Did they have a death wish? No, it's important to know that they, that they weren't there to tempt the hand of the Sanhedrin. That's not what they were doing. They weren't idiots. They were completely aware of the implications. No, their decision wasn't spiteful. Their decision was obedient. This is an educated decision. Now listen, God told them to begin their ministry work in Jerusalem. Do you remember that? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Their responsibility was to start their work in Jerusalem. And they knew that there was no better place to go fishing than at the temple. And so the threatenings bore no weight. What we see here is that the disciples were answering the mission call at their own jeopardy. And so we're going to start, and you're going to help me, but we, don't, we only have three key points today, and we've got to hurry if we're going to get through them. But the first thing that I want to point out to you is that we're going to, I'm going to show you these statements, okay, that each one begins with what the flesh and the world want to convince you of. And then we will have a declaratory statement in contradiction to that. Do you understand? So here's our very first one. It is unsafe to go into enemy territory. That is what the world and your flesh want to convince you of. It is unsafe to go onto UMKC's campus and preach the gospel. It is unsafe. It is unsafe to go into your workplace and preach the gospel. It's gospel. It's unsafe territory. There are risks associated with that. It is unsafe. And to that, we will say, we will answer the call regardless. We will do the, the, the cost-benefit analysis, and we will determine that it is, it is worth the risk to answer the call of Jesus Christ. You know, I've said this before, but it, but it bears repeating. You know, I, I have supernatural favor at my workplace. Where I work, I have supernatural favor. I preach the gospel almost every day. I have never been written up. You know, there's this, weird, there's this weird fear among Christian teachers that we are not supposed to go into a public school setting and preach the gospel. To that, I say phooey. Okay? I've, I want to I say this. I've, I've used the term zonked today, and now I've used the, the term phooey. <laughs> I am a 65-year-old man. I am telling you right now that I preach the gospel openly. And if it costs me my job, so be it. Now, 
I have lost people, lost family members, who have told me before that my friends that are missionaries in Southeast Asia are crazy. They're crazy. Now, first of all, at what point in your atheism, lost person, did you decide to be God and tell people what is right for their lives? I love it when lost people have opinions about what the heck we do. You don't get it. Second of all, whose definition of crazy are we using? You're trying to get me to normalize insanity. And I'm trying to get you to normalize my form of radicalism, which is obey Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You don't get to tell me what's crazy and what's not. I would rather live a lifetime as a small candle in the darkest corners of the earth and be considered extreme than live one day in darkness tempting my own eternal faith, or my own eternal life. You're the crazy one. I'll go with God. Psalm 118.66 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What, what can man do unto me? I will not fear. Man can do nothing. Next, an unsafe reputation. An unsafe reputation. Okay, it is now s- snowing. Okay? I'm going to stop at 11.30 sharp. You understand? Pray for me. Okay? An unsafe reputation. Verse 13. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, which basically means the apostles were unique. Other people couldn't just be apostles. Okay? That's what that means. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them. In other words, you didn't get to just sign up to be an apostle. You were appointed one by God. But listen. But the people magnified them. Magnified them. There was buzz. There was buzz surrounding the apostles. People magnified them. The people in Jerusalem acknowledged that God was up to something, uh, something special. And so they began talking, sharing, spreading the message. They began magnifying or amplifying the fame of the apostles. The people saw that these were mighty men of God, and so they magnified them as such. Now, when this buzz reached the Sanhedrin, it probably didn't go over well. Suddenly, the buzz surrounding these people, surrounding the reputation of the apostles, put their lives in jeopardy. So, the next statement is, our flesh, the world, wants to say to us, it is unsafe to have such extreme beliefs. It is unsafe to have a reputation that you have. It is not good, it is not normal to believe the way that you believe. And we will say, we will display our foolish faith anyway. We will display it anyway. When you begin having a testimony of God's authority in your life, you, you begin to be singled out as unique, different, strange. Your, your world will want to convince you that your gospel message is unwanted, and because it's unwanted, it is unsafe. That this brand of Christianity is radical and might cause repercussions in, in, in the future, like rejection by your peers, friends, family, co-workers, or classmates. You know, my extended family... It's taken them years to do this. It's taken them years to do this. But my extended family has essentially divorced me because of my beliefs. I have been isolated as extreme. Strange. And because I am unwanted, 
by them. I've been excommunicated. And what do I say to that? What should I say to that? Whoops, I didn't mean to believe the Bible. Will you take me back, please? I recant everything that I said. There was one time I was sitting with my aunt uh, at a restaurant, just me and her, and this was her moment to tell me that my beliefs were crazy. Okay, it was just us, one-on-one. All right, it was a very tearful and actually very difficult time. And I told her to her face, I said, Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And he was spit up three days later. And you will never tell me any, any other way. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You will never tell me any different. And because I believe such things, I am extreme. And I accept that. Very difficult conversation, but it was had. And many of you have had similar conversations. While it's uncomfortable to be that one Christian, you know, the one Christian, you've been that. A strange reputation among believers is nothing new. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the, promise, uh, not having received the promises. Things weren't actualized in their lifetime. They believed something that was invisible and far off. But having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things plainly, that they seek a country. I seek a country. I seek a country. I seek a home that is not this place. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. I am strange, I am a pilgrim here. And when you call me such, it does not waver me one bit. It does not affect me. I will be strange. And I'm okay with that. And if you think it's unsafe, so be it. So be it. We have an unsafe message. Verse 14. And believers were the more added to the church, multitudes, both of men and women. They preached the gospel, and it worked. People were delivered from their sin. It's of no surprise at this point that God was doing what he promised to do. This is what he said he was going to do. In their minds, their efficacy efficacy was given. To them it was obvious. It was what Christ promised, and so it was. Acts 1.8 says, "But, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria unto the uttermost part of the earth. And the assumption being that with Christ's power comes efficacy. God will work. His power doesn't fail. So when we speak the truth in Jerusalem, it will not fail. The one thing that the religious authority was betting on was that it wouldn't work. So they slap their hands and they say, no. No, no. Stop that. They were betting that this clown-like behavior would just fizzle out. That these foolish men would just disappear. But now, now the religious rulers hear the testimony that people are beginning to be converted and they would have been enraged. 
they would have been enraged. Listen to me. The world, your flesh, it wants to tell you that it is unsafe to preach Jesus so explicitly. They hate the name Jesus. They hate it. Why? Because it's effective. It's the only name by which we are given that will lead the blind to sight. They will take the downtrodden and give them hope. They will bring the wicked forgiveness. It is the only name, and they hate it. And they do not want us to preach the name Jesus explicitly. That name bothers them. I remember I, was, uh, I, I did the wedding, Nick and Hannah's uh, wedding, and there were lost people there. And there was a young Jewish woman who after the service had the boldness to come up to me and talk to me and have a conversation with me. And I was very thankful for that. One of the things that she told me that I'll never forget was I was hanging with you until you started talking about Jesus. I was hanging with you until you started talking about Jesus. I couldn't handle that. I couldn't handle that. And I said, oh, And I preached the gospel to her and explained to her that she, was impri- that she was imprisoned by the law and there would be no pardon found there. She did not receive Jesus Christ, but I heard the message loud and clear. It is unsafe for me, for you, to preach Jesus so explicitly. I feel unsafe. It triggers me. I don't like it. And I say, we will preach and we will bear fruit. That's the declaration. We will preach, and we will bear fruit. I do not care how it feels to you, if it's unsafe. As a minister of the gospel, when God starts using you to lead people to Christ, then the enemy is going to stand up and take notice. He is. He doesn't like it. And no longer will people perceive your faith as a harmless phase that you're going through. Has anybody ever heard that? I mean, even your Bible-believing Christian parents, Bible-believing Christian parents, think in the back of their mind when they're patting you on the head and they're like, I'm so glad you're going to church. What they're really thinking in the back of their mind is, I hope this radical form of Christianity doesn't take too much root. I hope that this phase will pass. I hope that this talk about missions and believing everything the Bible says is just a phase, and that it'll go away, that it'll fizzle out, that this clown-like behavior will go away. And guess what? It won't, because we're not playing at this. We're not playing. Next, the movement of God is unsafe. The testimony of their authority was so great among the people that they began bringing the sick. Listen to this testimony, verse 15. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, This kind of power. It's hard for me to understand. That at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one of them. See, the, the apostles had not only been used to lead people to Christ, but soon people began to bring others who were hurting and in need of the gospel message. 
The people's desperation was so great that many believed that even the shadow of Peter passing by might bring healing. Their belief was growing. It was beginning to spread. Their message was becoming a beacon of hope in the darkness of Jerusalem. When people started running home to fetch their sick family members to bring them to the disciples, it was clear to everyone involved that this Jesus message was beginning to multiply. That this thing wasn't just a fad. But lives were really being changed. And so much so that people were bringing others to see this was becoming a movement which would have absolutely been intolerable to the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin. And, and, and here's the deal. Society thinks the same thing about what we're doing. What we're doing is intolerable to them. It is pesky behavior. It is bothersome. And they want to ignore it until they can't. Until they see the multiplication. Until they see the, the, the hand of God moving in our city. And it enrages them. See, our flesh, the world wants to say it's unsafe to be in the midst of God's movement. It's unsafe to be a part of this multiplication. It's unsafe for Kaya to be growing so rapidly. It's unsafe for you to do surveys on Bible campus, on, on, on uh, college campuses with the intention of leading people to Bible studies and to preach the gospel. It's unsafe for us to be so open. It's unsafe for us to choose that field. But we will believe God for more. We will believe God for more. And what we see is not sufficient for us. And we will not grow idle. And we will not be satisfied. We're waiting on the return of our king. And until he comes, we will speak. We will go. We will live in such a way that proclaims his name. John 4, 35 says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now, that little bit of information did not die out with Jesus. That little nugget of truth is something that we, we claim even today as New Testament believers. The field is white unto harvest. And we will live in light of that, which means our work is never done. Our work is never done. It is one thing to believe in Jesus. It's another thing to preach about him. It's a whole other thing when it begins to affect people's lives. The enemy is no longer simply frustrated. He is forced to make a move. And guess what? He will. Be ready for it. He is going to make a move. And he will come at you. Key point number two. A Christianity without risk is a Christianity without gain. A Christianity without risk is a Christianity without gain. If you are not willing to risk, if you're not willing to step out, guess what? You won't, you won't bring in a harvest. With the final five minutes, minutes, I will do the following. We are going to look at what happens. These are the unsafe outcomes. 
the unsafe outcomes. Verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. They were filled with indignation. So they did the only thing they knew how to do, throw them in prison. These are physical tactics for their spiritual dilemma. Satan has always used physical tactics when he doesn't know what else to do. You know why? Because he does not have spiritual authority. He has no authority over me. He has, he has no choice but to use physical ta- tactics, and he will. Crucifying Christ was not a solution to, to defeating the king of heaven. And prison walls are not a solution for silencing the ambassadors of that king. They're not. So they throw the apostles in prison, every one of them. Verse 19, But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple. Go do the unsafe thing. Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, They entered into the temple early in the morning and they taught. Our authority is God, not men. He is in control. And God has invited them personally to go right back to the temple and teach, to go back to the unsafe place. Now listen to me. This is, this is, the, this is powerful right here. But the high priest came and they they that were with him and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, listen to me, the prison truly found we shut with all safety. And the keepers standing without before the doors, but when we had opened, we found no man within. I love this language, I love it. The officers go to the prison to confirm that, they, that the apostles weren't there. You know, they had heard the rumors. They said, go check, go check to see if they're still in the prison. Because people are saying that they're in the street, that they're in Solomon's porch pre- preaching. So when they go, they go to the prison, and they look inside. And their declaration is, we saw the prison, and it was shut with all safety. See, in the world's eyes, the place of safety is anywhere you are not living in faith. The place of safety for the world is where you are not being effective. Key point number three, wherever you go with the gospel on your lips is an unsafe place for the lost to be. Wherever you go with the gospel on your lips is an unsafe place for the lost to be. It may be unsafe for you as well but it is definitely unsafe for the lost. You understand? That's why they don't like it. Satan wants nothing more than you for, for you to be kept safe. You would live by sight, not by faith. You would count your dung to be riches. That's what Satan wants. 
That's what he wants. That you would think temporally. That you would choose safety. But when you don't, when you decide to step out in risk, and you choose to live a dangerous life with the gospel on your lips, you bring fear to the enemy. Verse 24, now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, listen to me, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. They asked themselves, What's this going to do? Is this going to grow? Is this going to spread? No, it can't. And what we know is that in a matter of a few decades, these men turned the entire world upside down. They changed everything. They changed everything. And we can have an impact. We can have an impact. We can change things if we go and choose to live dangerously to be unsafe, to risk our reputations, to risk our lives. And it may sound radical, but I call, I, I call it reasonable. As long as the prison cell is empty and the gospel is out in the streets, the potential for growth is there. So why are so many of us so safe with the gospel? Why do so many of us fear why have so many of us chosen the safety of the prison cell over the freedom and the liberty of the mission field? What triggers your fears? It is time for us to start dying to those things now. Because triggers, listen to me, triggers of fear and anxiety, listen, they suspend you and make you immature in your faith. And you have to die to them. Start confessing them to your Bible study. Start bringing those fears out into the open. Start acknowledging them. What causes you to throw your guard up? And begin denouncing those fears actively before the Lord. That we might live unsafe and effective Christian lives full of faith. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for all of those who risked coming out in the snow today. And Lord, I pray that your word would have been valuable enough to them that when they leave here, they could say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've given me. Lord, I, I thank you for what you're doing in Kaya. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to have your hand at work. Lord, I, I invite you. Lord, I don't even know how to define a movement. Okay, that's ridiculous. You know what you're doing. All I want is your hand moving in our midst. All I desire is that you make Kaya to be effective as our faith is presented to you. We need you. We need your power. We need your authority. Lord, go before us. Lord, use us to speak in unsafe places, an unsafe word, with an unsafe yet reputation, that we might have unsafe outcomes. So be it. So be it. Lord, help us to die to self and live to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys.
Drive safely, please. I love you. I need to see you on Tuesday, so drive safely.